Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment. And this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon. Uh, what has turned out to be a glorious Saturday afternoon here on WIBC. And we hope you're enjoying your afternoon. I'll tell you what, I've already had a really fun day. Uh, I went down and uh, uh, volunteered to teach what we called an advanced uh, defensive pistol course. And uh, this was down in Trafalgar, Indiana. And I've always enjoyed being down in that area. Trafalgar is one of those towns. There are a lot of towns in Indiana that I've primarily only been through on a motorcycle. Uh, Trafalgar is one of those. You go down 135, and, I mean, it's an adorable little town. I've always liked uh, Trafalgar. Uh, 135 takes a takes a hard right. You turn back west. You go through Morgantown. Um, then it turns back south, and you uh, ride that all the way down to uh, Brown County. So whether I was going to Brown County State Park or going down uh, at the, the Bean Blossom uh, Festival, what we used to call the Bean Blossom Boogie, it used to be there in Bean Blossom, Indiana, on the way to uh, to Brown County State Park, and it was a great event, a lot of fun. I went to that for years and years. I actually worked security at that event uh, way back in the day. Uh, but at any rate, I love being down in that area. But uh, Michelle Davis is a, uh, a conservative and a pro-Second Amendment uh, state representative uh, here in Indiana, uh, District 54, which is right there in that area. Uh, she's uh, from Whiteland, I think, which is also included right there uh, in her district. And and listen, I just volunteered. I didn't receive anything. Uh, I'm not receiving anything for talking about uh, her right here on the radio either. Um, and I wouldn't accept it because, you know what, I'm all about uh, fighting for those uh, elected officials that fight for our constitutional rights and that care about the Second Amendment in particular. And uh, Michelle Davis is one of those. And so I went down and I taught uh, the quote-unquote advanced course. There's a great guy named Bud Lick who has uh, the Shooting Institute. He's also an instructor, and um, he could have taught the advanced, or but he did the more basic course, and I taught the advanced course where we're doing uh, some things that you don't usually do, um, and at a lot of ranges you can't do, uh, primarily drawing a gun from a holster. And uh, we did that for a while, uh, had a great safety briefing first, and uh, discussion of technique went out, and then uh, a whole bunch of folks were out there, and we trained on uh, drawing a gun from a holster and putting rounds on target uh, safely but also quickly and efficiently uh, coming from concealment. And and a lot of people ha- have never really trained on how to do that. And so it was fun. It was a really good group of folks, with incredibly safe. Folks were very, very good about following the rules of gun safety on the range. I never had to correct anyone on muzzle direction or uh, or trigger finger location. 
uh, or being unsafe while they were reholstering. You always worry uh, in a course like that where we're drawn from a holster. A lot of folks can, uh, uh, in, in other situations, you've seen this out there on YouTube or covered on, in the media, folks can be unsafe on getting the gun back in the holster. Uh, because they let their 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 garment get in the way, their trigger finger is not in the right position. Um, there uh, are ways to do it safely and ways to uh, screw it up. And and thankfully, and and it was great. It was made up for a really fun day. Uh, it really went great down there, and I was I was proud to support on my own time. And again, without compensation, this is not a paid endorsement. Uh, uh, the uh, the re-election of uh, Representative uh, Michelle Davis. Uh, she's she's good people, and we need more people like her in the Indiana General Assembly. And we need to keep the ones we have. Because Lord knows, even those folks running uh, as quote-unquote Republicans, uh, some of them are not necessarily trustworthy when it comes to your constitutional rights, including your rights under the Second Amendment. And we're going to talk about some of those things going on politically. First thing I want to talk about and I got a lot of commentary. A lot of people sent me links. A lot of people asked me what I had to say about the fact that the governor of New Mexico, uh, Michelle Grisham, I believe is her name, came out with an executive order from the governor's office in New Mexico. And she declared that she's suspending the possession carry of firearms within the, the city of Albuquerque for at least 30 days, and she's doing so as a result of, of several shootings they've had there recently, including a shooting of an 11-year-old. And obviously that's tragic, but she's doing that by banning the carry of firearms, even by law-abiding citizens, within the city of Albuquerque. If there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. There are restrictions on free speech. There are restrictions on my freedoms. In this emergency, this 11-year-old and all these parents who have lost all these children, they deserve my attention to have the debate about whether or not in an emergency we can create a safer environment. Because what about their constitutional rights? Yeah, let's let's break that down a little bit. So she's saying no constitutional right is absolute. Well, okay, I'm true. And the Supreme Court has defined the test by which we can define whether any particular activity is protected by the Second Amendment, and the Supreme Court has defined the the test by which we can determine whether any attempted government control over our constitutional rights, including our Second Amendment rights, are are constitutional or unconstitutional, or legal or illegal. And and you know, I posted on the good governor's Twitter feed. Last time I looked, maybe it's just because it was my comment. I'm not quite sure how these things work. But last time I looked, my comment was the, the first one listed under her Twitter announcement. I guess we're supposed to call it X now. I'm sorry. It's going to take me a while. Because I'm a, you know, a guy that the analog everybody always uses, at, hey, I still call it Deer Creek. And, and I'm sure a lot of people will continue to do so. But Twitter, X, whatever. But 
or she announced this brilliant move on Twitter, and, and I commented, and I said, you might want to read the Supreme Court's opinion in New York State Rifle, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And then I got a little snarky and in parenthetical, I put, were the lawyers on your staff absent the day they taught law in law school? Because what did, what did the Supreme Court just rule last fall? The United States Supreme Court, in a ruling that now is the law of the land. And this is in response to New York simply saying that, that state authorities had the ability on whether or not to issue a handgun license to allow someone to carry a handgun outside the home that New York officials had the ability to, to, to scratch their chin and decide who had a sufficient need, sufficient need to carry a gun outside the home. And if they determined that you had that sufficient need, then okay, they blessed you with the right to carry a gun outside the home. But if you didn't, and, and, and it's, it's very high standard. In other words, you can't just say, I live in a high-crime neighborhood, and I'm afraid for my safety. No, that didn't do it. You can't just say, uh, I carry uh, large amounts of, of cash or other valuable items. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a jewel dealer, a precious gems dealer, and I routinely walk through areas of New York with a briefcase full of diamonds or full of emeralds or whatever that's worth a lot of money. And I'm afraid that I'm, I, you know, that'll be a target because someone will want to steal these from me. No, 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 that didn't do it. You had to establish you're under an existing, what they call an ex- existential threat. Someone's trying to hurt you as we speak. And that's why you need a handgun license. Now I'm sure different areas, different counties, different parts of the state of New York handled it different ways. But in New York City, if somebody's not actively trying to kill you, you weren't getting a handgun license. And the United States Supreme Court looked at that and said, you know what? New York has taken what is a constitutional right and turned it into a privilege bestowed on its citizens by the government, where the government can decide who has a constitutional right and who doesn't. And on that basis, said, oh, hell no, New York's attempt to establish this discretionary system, what we call a may-issue system for handgun licenses, is unconstitutional. And they just just decided that last fall. So consider this. When this decision is months old, and you're the governor of the state of New Mexico, and you are so clueless, and the people on your staff, including the attorneys, who apparently know how to spell constitution, the attorneys on your staff are so clueless that you don't understand that completely banning the carry of firearms outside the home is going to be un- absolutely 1,000% unconstitutional, determined to be unconstitutional, as soon as it's challenged. What, you somehow think you can get away with that when the Supreme Court has said, oh no, when the government just decides who can and who can't, it's unconstitutional, when that's a discretionary process based on need. 
You're going to go the next step and ban it altogether? What idiot thinks that passes constitutional muster? And why don't you care? See, that's the other question I have. And we're, we're a little past the quarter hour. We're going to take a break. By the way, as always, I want to invite your calls on this issue, 317-239-9393. We always want to have input from our callers. Man, last show, I wasn't on last week because IU football. And 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 I was disappointed because, as I always say, I got things to say. When I say that, no, I'm not on the radio. I don't say things. I got blank to say. But uh, but the show before that, when we weren't preempted, man, it had fabulous callers. I mean, we had caller after caller, and everybody had great questions, great input, and it really made for a great show. And it uh, just makes me love the listening audience here at WIBC. But at any rate. I'm going to invite your commentary. But when we come back, because I'm well past the quarter hour, when we come back, we're going to talk about what this may remind you of if you're following politics in a particular election going on right here in central Indiana. And we'll go on from there. We're also going to talk about, and a lot of people have sent me links, a lot of people have wanted my commentary on this. I've talked a little bit about social media. A lot of people wanted me to comment on the fact that Liberty Safe, the manufacturer, Liberty Safe, apparently provided an access code to get into one of their safes to the government so they could break into the safe, they could access the safe of a person who was under investigation as part of the January 6th riots, protests, insurrection, call it what you will, the January 6th prosecutions, Liberty Safe coughed up an access code. We're going to talk a lot about that. A lot of people have contacted me about that as well. And as always, we want to take your comments and questions, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, you can also catch live video of this show on YouTube. I'm laughing because uh, I always kind of forget about uh, broadcasting this uh, live on YouTube. And I'm sitting here doing the show, and I, I tend to talk with my hands. And um, and I, I've had a couple of private messages uh, that people making fun of me because, yes, I have a broken pinky, and it's all true. It's in a splint. And uh, it makes my my hand motions a little awkward. I got to tell you, I, I taught this class today, uh, quote unquote, advanced uh, pistol class where we're drawing guns from holsters all day. And I'm trying to demo a lot of these uh, particular skills, a lot of particular uh, techniques. And uh, and drawing a gun with a with a with your little finger on a splint yeah, creates all new issues. It was totally doable and uh, got through it just fine. But it uh, did present some other issues. So those of you making fun of me for having my pinky in a splint, hey, I, I get it. Uh, a little motorcycle mishap, but uh, that's all good, and we're recovering quickly. Um, let's talk more about the governor of New Mexico. She made the comment, all constitutional rights, including my oath, it's kind of interesting, she lumps those together. Uh, your, 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 your oath is not a constitutional right, but okay. Constitutional rights, including my oath, are not absolute. Well, let's, let's go through that a little bit. Is, I mean, is that a true statement? Well, 
The Supreme Court has defined the process. As I mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court has defined the process by which any particular government restriction that bumps up against a constitutional right, the government's defined the process by which we define whether that's legal or not, whether it's constitutional or not. And is it is it 100%? Uh, in other words, is the governor right to say no constitutional rights are absolute? <clears throat> well, it's debatable whether the founders intended for them to be absolute. And a lot of people would say yes. And a lot of people, in response to this kind of an argument, quote the, the, the last few words of the Second Amendment to say, what part of shall not be infringed do you not understand? And, and, and it's appropriate to do so. But as the, the, the case law has developed and how the Constitution has been interpreted, including the Second Amendment, by the Supreme Court primarily, that it is a true statement to say no constitutional right is absolute. And everybody wants to say, yeah, you know, you can't yell fire in a movie theater. Well, you can if there's a fire. <laughs> People always want to forget about that. And secondly, the, 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 the basic point there is to the extent that you are inciting panic or a riot, and there's a law against that, that in some jurisdictions that's been upheld as being constitutional. And so, so yes, to some degree it is true to say that as interpreted by the Supreme Court, no right is absolute, but that misses the point of the fact that the Supreme Court has defined the test by, which, by whether we would determine. You can't just say no constitutional right is absolute, so I can do any damn thing as the government, as the governor of New Mexico or <clears throat> as the mayor of Indianapolis that I want to because no constitutional right is absolute. That's not the way it works. You have to take any particular restriction, and, and the defense of any particular restriction, like no carry of firearms in the city of Albuquerque or no concealed firearm carry whatsoever in the city of Indianapolis, as Mayor Hogsett has not only proposed, but the Indianapolis Marion County City County Council has passed. They've said, well, we can't do this because it's illegal under the preemption law. I think kind of missed the point of, oh, by the way, it's unconstitutional as well. But they've said, well, if and when the preemption law goes away, this goes into effect. So it's passed. It's passed the Indiana, the Indianapolis City County Council. The Democrat-controlled supermajority on the City County Council has passed this damn thing. And it's the same, it's the same question. And we heard the same damn argument. I went to the hearing in the Public Safety Committee of the City County Council here in Marion County. I was there. I testified. And you had a lawyer say the same thing. Well, no constitutional rights absolute. <laughs> That's not really the point, is it? Because the Supreme Court's defined the test. So what's the test? And this is the added import and the added impact of the Bruin decision just from last fall from the Supreme Court. Because again, the holding, the, 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 the fundamental holding 
that anyone with any kind of reading comprehension whatsoever is going to pick up in, in, in five seconds after having read the opinion is that the carry of a firearm outside the home is a fundamental right protected by the Second Amendment. And turning that into some kind of government-bestowed privilege is unconstitutional. Well, if the government simply allowing that right on a discretionary basis is unconstitutional, because some people have that right and some don't, what do you think about a complete ban of carrying a firearm outside the home? So Mayor Hogsett here in Indianapolis says, oh, well, we're going to ban the concealed carry of firearms completely. I'm sorry. Supreme Court in Bruin just said only allowing certain people to carry on a discretionary basis is unconstitutional. You're not allow, you're not gonna allow anybody to do it. How's that passed that same test? And then, not to be outdone, the Republican, Jefferson Shreve, comes in and says, Oh yeah, I like that. Let's roll back constitutional carry in Marion County. Oh yeah, let's ban the most commonly owned rifle in America, the AR-15, and other so-called assault weapons, the political term that anti-Second Amendment politicians and activists attribute to the most commonly owned rifles in America. And they ignore completely what the Supreme Court has said about how we determine whether these things are constitutional or not. What, what, what is that test, and how did that change after the Bruin decision? Not just because they ruled on the carry of firearms outside the home in New York's discretionary may-issue handgun licensing scheme, but because they said, no, the historical test that a lot of courts all over the country have used to determine whether a restriction on Second Amendment rights is constitutional or not, that's not the test. They threw it out. I'll talk about what that was, why it's been discarded, and what the new test is, and why incredible idiots like the governor of New Mexico and, yes, the mayor of Indianapolis what they either don't understand or refuse to acknowledge, and I think it's probably the latter, because even if they're idiots, which, they're prob- which they probably are, they surely have somebody on their staff who can pop up and say, hold on, wait a minute, you might want to consider this, because it's basic first-year law school stuff to understand what the law actually is in this area. They just choose to disregard it because they're playing to a political base in order to gain votes. We'll get more into that, talk about what the test actually is and why none of this passes muster. And we all, we all we want to continue to take your calls as well. 317-239-9393. Give us a call. And then we'll get in and we'll talk about the Liberty Safe situation because a lot of people are talking about this. A lot of people are upset about this. And I completely understand why. We'll get into that discussion as well when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So as I mentioned before the break, there's a test 
somebody ever looks at you and says, no constitutional rights are absolute. And everybody wants to use the fire in a theater thing. Well, hold on. We don't have to go through that debate. The Supreme Court's defined exactly how you determine what's constitutional and what's not. And for a long time, at least as to Second Amendment rights, courts across the country, without the Supreme Court having weighed in on this at the time, were using sort of a balancing test. And they looked at what level of scrutiny a law should be put under, and the level of scrutiny to some degree was determined by what the what the the compelling need of the government was to pass some particular law or regulation or restriction. And so courts would say, oh, well, the government has a compelling interest in keeping people safe or, or, or limiting mass shootings. So the government has this important, compelling interest. And then they looked at the extent to which a particular regulation, the one that's under examination, essentially how much of an infringement it really was on the Constitution, on the Second Amendment. And say, well, it's just kind of a little bit of an infringement. Okay, we're going to ban this particular kind of a gun, like an AR-15, for instance. But gosh, you still have other guns available to you to defend your home, defend your family. So it's not really that much of a restriction. It's just limiting one particular kind of firearm. So between the government's compelling interest and the fact this isn't really a major infringement on your right, we're going to apply a level of scrutiny that says, oh, yeah, that's just fine. It was a balancing test to some degree that balanced the need of the government with the degree of infringement. And, and frankly, it was a recipe to allow courts all across the country to uphold whatever gun control laws the local government wanted to impose. Or the federal government as well. And, 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 and we saw this happen over and over again. In fact, there are several decisions out there, for instance, that uphold an assault weapon ban. Again, you hear me use assault weapon. Please understand, I know that's a political term. It's made up. It's made to demonize the most commonly owned rifles in America. I get it. But that's the nomenclature that's used in a lot of these statutes. And yes, they do have a definition of assault weapon. It's a goofy definition. It makes no real sense if you're actually talking about people pe keeping people safe. But they do define it in these statutes. So the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin, first of all, is directly relevant to when an idiot mayor in Indianapolis or an idiot mayoral candidate as a Republican wants to restrict your right to carry a firearm in public or wants to ban the most commonly owned rifles in America. It's directly relevant to those issues, but more importantly, what it also did is it redefined the test and it threw out this level of scrutiny, this balancing test. It just threw it in the trash. It said, no, that's not the test. The test is, the first, is first to say, does this restriction impact a right that's protected by the Second Amendment. And that's based on the text of the Second Amendment. What the words say, what the words mean. And we've got some good decisions, the Heller case and the McDonald case from the Supreme Court, 2008, 2010, that tell us what the Supreme Court meant, or, excuse me, 
the Supreme Court told us what the words of the Second Amendment say and what the founders meant when they read them, when they wrote them. And so we know what, what the Second Amendment means. And on that point, if somebody ever comes to you and says, well, yeah, it's a right that needs to be well-regulated, so that just means the government can pass any law they want, because what part of well-regulated don't you understand? No, the Supreme Court came out and said in the Heller decision 2008, well-regulated just means well-equipped, well-trained, fully functional, efficient, able to do its job, like a well-regulated clock keeps good time. Somebody wants to argue with you about the meaning of well-regulated, don't engage in the argument. Just say, excuse me, read the Heller decision from 2008 and go away. And they'll say, well, it says, in order, it says a well-regulated militia. So unless you're in the militia, which is the National Guard, the Supreme Court does nothing, or excuse me, the Second Amendment does nothing for you. No, the Supreme Court said that the militia in 1789, 1791, when the Second Amendment was ratified, was everybody. It was common man. So there's no restriction, there's no requirement to be in an organized military unit like the National Guard or any other formal militia for the Second Amendment to protect your individual personal right to bear arms. The Supreme Court has decided that issue. We don't have to debate that anymore. So my point is the Supreme Court has decided what the words of the Second Amendment mean. So the first test is to look at a given restriction, like the governor of New Mexico or the mayor of Indianapolis wants to say you can't carry a gun in public. Well, does that impact the right to bear arms? Of course it does. So the next test then under the Supreme Court's analysis in the Bruin case, and this is the law of the land, there's no debating this, is to say, is to, is to question whether that restriction is consistent with the history and tradition of the regulation of that right throughout the history of this country, going all the way back to the founding. the history and tradition of the regulation of that right, that's been upheld in the courts. And as to the carry of a firearm outside the home and the Bruin decision, they said absolutely not. It's not consistent with the history and tradition of the regulation of this right. In fact, that's been a, fun, that's been a fundamental right and a, and a closely protected right under the Second Amendment since the Second Amendment was passed. And so, again, I'm belaboring the point, but it boggles my mind that someone who has reached an office like governor of New Mexico or even mayor of Indianapolis who doesn't understand that or understands it and is fully willing to disregard it. But one last point, and we'll move on from the idiot mayor of New Mexico. But, we'll, but one last point, when she says, she says, and no, no, no right under the Constitution absolute, including my oath. Consider that for a minute. And, 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 and when she went on to justify, well, there's an emergency because people have died. Criminals have killed innocent people, so there's an emergency. Anyone who reads the Constitution and believes that a constitutional right is only a constitutional right until there's an emergency is truly an idiot. Because let me just tell you right now, and you heard it here, 
If the government can ignore the Constitution anytime there's an emergency, the government will create an emergency to ignore the Constitution. Write that down. If the government can ignore the Constitution anytime there's an emergency, the government will create an emergency in order to ignore the Constitution. That's not how it works. The, our, our founders wrote this beautiful, brilliant document, the Constitution. And the, thank God the Anti-Federalists insist that, that we have a Bill of Rights ratified two years later. And it's for precisely that reason, because we can't trust the bastards that are in office. That's the point. And we tied their hands. We put restrictions on them. And anyone who thinks that an emergency, however you define it, as a government official, allows you to ignore the Constitution, doesn't understand the Constitution. And I'll leave you with that going into this break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We've only got about a minute and a half here before we have the, the hard break at the top of the hour. But I'll leave you with this. You know, I was talking about when government officials want to, want to ignore the Constitution in an emergency. Know this, understand this, and I wish more politicians understood it. Again, you don't quite know who fully understands it, and they're just willing to ignore it. That's a whole separate question. But the idea that you can ignore your oath of office where you swear, you swear with your hand on a Bible to support and defend the Constitution, and you say, oh, no, that's not absolute. Excuse me? And it's not absolute because there's an emergency. The Constitution was written to withstand emergencies. The Constitution has endured incredible number of emergencies we've seen in this country. How about the Great Depression? How about multiple world wars? We've seen this country in 247 years go through a lot of emergencies. And the government's withstood, excuse me, the Constitution has withstood all of that and will continue to do so. And that's what politicians need to understand. Right now, we're coming up on the top of the hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. So let's talk about the situation where uh, Liberty's safe. And, and Liberty, look, I own a Liberty Safe. In fact, let me make some disclosures here. I own a Liberty Safe, and I love my Liberty Safe. It's a fabulous safe. I had it professionally installed. 
by a local company, actually a company in, in, in Noblesville that I've done advertising for. And yes, they have paid me money to do advertising for them. And they sell Liberty Safes. And not only have they paid me money to do advertising for them, but I it's a family-owned business, and I consider the family, father and son, who own that business to be friends of mine. And, and I care about them, and I, and I hope their business does well. And I hope their business isn't negatively impacted by the issue we're about to talk about. So a little, full disclosure, uh, I've had, uh, not currently, I'm not currently being paid uh, by these folks, not running any ads right now, but they have in the past, but th- but more importantly than that, they're they're good people and they're friends of mine. And 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 look, they're a locally owned company. They're not associated other than selling the product with National Liberty Safe. But I throw that out at the beginning just so you can assess my credibility on the issues I'm about to talk about with full disclosure and full understanding uh, on anything that may affect my objectivity. And so be it. But Liberty Safe is under a lot of heat, and this is the national manufacturer of Liberty Safes, and 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 I think they're they're known to make quality American-made safes, and that's why I, I love having one. I have a big one in my office uh, for both not only firearms that I store in there, but occasionally I'll have to hold firearms for clients under various circumstances, and uh, it's great to have a nice big. Uh, well-built safe in my office. But Liberty Safe was approached by the FBI, apparently, as part of an investigation over someone who was allegedly involved in the January 6th protest or riots or insurrection, depending on your position on what happened out there. Insurrection, I always just want to laugh at. Was it a... Was it a was it a protest? Certainly, it was. It was designed to be a protest. Was it a riot? Yeah, when people broke into the Capitol and yeah, they broke windows, and there was some vandalism that occurred. No question. Yeah, I think it's fair to call it a riot to some degree. And I'm not here to debate what did or didn't happen on January 6th. I think the way the Democrats portray it is completely laughable. Oh, my God, a bunch of unarmed people, dude in a Viking hat, are going to overthrow the American government. <laughs> Producer Carl's laughing out loud over that. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's a bit of a joke. Even though the Democrats love to, to, to wave their hands in the air and, and declare it the worst day in American history. You know, worse than 9-11? Are you kidding me? Worse than Pearl Harbor? Are you kidding me? Yeah, some idiots went into the Capitol, many of them invited, but some of them broke in. You, you saw the videos using the, 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 the posts on their signs to break windows in the Capitol, climb through broken windows. That's not okay. These people broke the law and deserve to be prosecuted. And if somebody doesn't like me saying that, then, hey, that's your opinion, but it's certainly mine. But as part of an investigation of someone who allegedly broke the law on January 6th, the FBI executed a warrant at the person's home. And the warrant included any contents of a safe that the person had there in their home. 
they couldn't get into the safe because it was locked. Now, listen, if the government, including the FBI, really, really wants to get into your safe, they're going to get into your safe. Make no bones about that. I have no doubts about that. I mean, it, 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 it may depend what level of destruction and mayhem they leave in their path, but they're going to get into your safe if they really want to get into your safe. But what they elected to do was go to Liberty, the manufacturer, and say, hey, you've manufactured this safe. This guy has in their house. We have a warrant for his house to get into his safe. Will you give us the access code? to get into this safe. And here's the way that works. A lot of safe manufacturers, this isn't unique to Liberty. A lot of safe manufacturers, when they sell a safe, they'll keep sort of a backdoor access code to get into that safe. It may just be, I don't know, a copy of the combination of its combination lock. It may be something more sophisticated than that. I'm sure it varies by company. But a lot of them will maintain, will keep there in the company the methodology, including an access code, to get into that safe so that if they get a call from a customer, and I've actually done this, not on my Liberty safe, but I've done it for some small, some pistol safes that I had where I, uh, they, were, they were operated by key and I lost the key. And so I contacted the manufacturer, and this was not Liberty, it was somebody else, and said, hey, I can't get in to this. And they said, well, give us a serial number, give us proof of purchase. And I don't even remember. I don't know if they sent me another key or they gave me some other means to get into the safe. But it was something that they kept associated with a serial number for that safe that allows customer who misplaces, forgets, loses their combination or their, or their key, if that's how that safe functions, to be able, still be able to get in if they can prove that they're the owner of that safe. So the FBI went to Liberty and said, hey, do you have an access code that will allow us to get into this safe that this guy has, and here's our warrant that allows us to get into the safe. And Liberty, at that point, according to their own statements, their own public announcements, said, sure, here's the access code for you to get into this guy's safe. And the FBI then was able to open the safe. And who knows whether they found anything worthwhile or anything relevant, anything admissible, as to the investigation for this guy for whatever he was alleged to have done as part of January 6th. But the heat now is intense on liberty. And I understand this completely. And here's the problem. Here's the political problem. Here's the Social media problem, because Liberty's getting beat up hard on social media, is that the warrant that the government obtained, so what are we talking about here? So for the Fourth Amendment protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. So make no mistake, whatever constitutional amendment we're talking about, it protects you from the government. It doesn't protect you from anybody else. But... The Fourth Amendment protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures, and it says no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause. It says it right in the Fourth Amendment, because you're protected against unreasonable searches and seizures. 
So the government went and got a warrant, but the warrant only covered the safe in the house. They did not issue what happens all the time, which is a third-party subpoena, a subpoena that compels the production of information or documents from a third party not part of the investigation or the prosecution. So the warrant only covered the guy's house. It did not compel. The warrant the government got in this situation did not compel liberty to do anything. It did not require, legally, did not require liberty to do anything. Yet when the government, when the FBI went to Liberty and said, we want the access code to this guy's safe, we have a warrant for his house, Liberty decided that was good enough and gave him the access code. And that's creating a hell of a lot of heat. And you know what? That is a legitimate criticism. That is a completely legitimate criticism. What should Liberty have said when the FBI came and said, we have a warrant for this guy's house. Warrant doesn't cover Liberty. Warrant doesn't require Liberty to do anything. But saying, we have a warrant for the guy's house, what should Liberty have said at that moment? You know what Liberty should have said? Pound sand. Get the hell out of my face. I'm not required to do anything in response to your warrant. That covers you going in and searching the guy's house. And if you have the ability to get in the safe, awesome. You're covered that way. I'm not required as the manufacturer of that safe to do anything. And so no question, Liberty screwed up. Liberty screwed up. They've since come out, by the way, and said, all right, we're changing our policy. Because I'm sure it's reaction in reaction to the heat they're getting. And the heat is deserved. They brought this on themselves. A lot of people are comparing it to Bud Light, right? Why would you step on your own privates to this degree and damage your own business this way by making this kind of an idiotic decision? It was a bad decision. And you're talking about gun owners by and large. Now, people buy Liberty safes and other kinds of safes for any number of different purposes and to store a lot of different things in them that may or may not include firearms. I get it. But a lot of people buy Liberty safes, buy other safes, to put guns in. And you're talking about gun owners. And when you just roll over and, and supply an access code voluntarily to the government to get into some guy's safe who bought the safe in order to be secure against unreasonable searches and seizures, in order to be secure against losing your possessions, Losing whatever information you've decided to store, information, items, guns, whatever it might be you stored in your safe, you want it to be secure. And for the government, to, or excuse me, for a, pr a private manufacturer of your safe to give that away, huge mistake. And Liberty's admitted it was a mistake. There's still a couple of things to talk about. There's a couple of things to talk about in terms of, of a reasonable alternative. We'll talk about what their new policy is. And, and we'll talk a little bit, and I'd love to, to hear questions or comments on this from our listeners about exactly how much, at this point, we ought to publish, we ought to punish Liberty. How mad should we be at Liberty Safe? Do they make a mistake? Yes. Do they roll over for the government when they should not have? Yes. Should they have told the FBI to pound sand? Absolutely. But we'll talk about where we go from here when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC.
And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So did Liberty Safe earn their lesson? Did they learn their, learn their lesson? Well, they they quickly responded to the incredible backlash they got. And listen, make no mistake. I mean, do I think they screw up? Yes. Should they have told the FBI to pound sand? Absolutely, they should have. But a couple of things that I think mitigate to some degree the amount of anger we got to feel here. And it doesn't make Liberty's decision-making any better. But one is a point I made earlier, which is the government really wants to get into your safe. They're going to get into your safe, right? You, you really think the FBI is going to look at your safe and go, oh, well, hey, safe's locked. Nothing we can do about that. Oh, hell no. They're going to get the plasma cutter out, and they're going to leave a big wake of destruction in your house or wherever else you might have your safe, and they're eventually going to get the damn safe open. But that that's not an excuse for what Liberty did or didn't do, because what they didn't do is tell the FBI to go away. But what could the FBI have done at that point? And again, in terms of the actual outcome here, FBI then could have gone to the court, and this would be the U.S. Attorney's Office, the prosecutor working with the FBI on this case, and said, we need a subpoena issue a subpoena, and the U.S. Attorney's Office can just issue that subpoena. So they issue a subpoena. What's the subpoena do? It says, provide us the access code for this particular safe with this serial number. Does Liberty Safe then have to comply with that subpoena? Well, there's a process in litigation, I've done this before, where you can move what's called to quash. You can move to quash a subpoena and be in a Native-born Hoosier and lived here all my life. I like to change that to squash. <laughs> so I'll always laugh and say, we need to file a motion to squash the subpoena, which is not how we spell it when we file the motion. You know, it's quash. It's the legal term, but okay. So you file your motion as liberty. So you, so you tell the FBI to pound sand. Go away. No, we're not providing you any information on our customer safe's access code because we respect the privacy and security of our customer. That's what they should have done. Then the, the FBI goes back, they go to the U.S. Attorney's Office, they issue a subpoena. So then Liberty then has the option of filing their petition to squash. I don't know why that makes me laugh. So then the court rules on that and says, no, this is a valid subpoena, this is information the government needs as part of its investigation, or they don't. Because you can argue the specifics of what you're obligated to do in that situation and what you're not. And you may win that, you may lose it. But if the gov- if the court then says they're denying your motion to quash and you have to supply with this you have to comply rather with a subpoena, then you have to comply with a subpoena. The end result is exactly the same. The optics are dramatically different. The optics are dramatic- dramatically different because Liberty's respecting the privacy and the rights of its customer. The outcome's the same. The government gets the information they wanted, which is the access code. They get into the safe. They go on from there. The outcome's the same. If Liberty tells the the FBI to go to hell and the FBI brings in the plasma cutter because they have a warrant to get into the safe and they cut the damn thing open and they get into the safe anyway. The outcome's the same except In one situation, they destroyed the safe. But none of that is an excuse for what Liberty did or didn't do. And don't take my commentary that way at all. 
I just think it mitigates exactly how outraged we might want to be because the outcome could very easily turn out to be much the same no matter what Liberty did in this circumstance. I proposed on Twitter, and some people I think not really understanding my point took issue with this, but I said, to me, it's fairly easy. One is Liberty needs to do what it already did, which is say that, you know what, we made a mistake here. We're not going to supply this kind of information to the government without a subpoena directly served on us. A warrant for the House, which doesn't compel Liberty to do anything, is not sufficient for us to give an access code to one of our safes to the government. So they've done that. But what else could they do? I'll tell you what, what I think is a logical solution to this going forward is to, one, amend that policy, which they've done. But secondly, when you buy a safe from Liberty or any other safe manufacturer, I think you should be given the option of do you want them to maintain that access code or not? You ought to be able to say, as a, as a purchaser of that safe, yes, I want you to maintain this access code. And you may say that. You may say, look, the likelihood, and this, this would certainly, certainly apply to me, the likelihood of me losing a combination or losing a key or forgetting a combination and not remembering where the hell I stored the, 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 the little printed form that has the combination on it, likelihood of me losing or forgetting my combination is a hell of a lot higher. The likelihood, the percentage likelihood is a hell of a lot higher of me losing or, or needing a replacement for that combination than it is the government trying to get into my safe. So I'm okay with Liberty maintaining, or whatever safe manufacturer it is, I'm okay with them maintaining that access code because I may need it because I can be an idiot from time to time and lose my stuff, including combination to the safe theoretically. Right now I'm sitting there remembering the safe, the combination to my safe in Carmel going, yeah, okay, no, I, I still got it. I actually think I have the paperwork that has the combination written down on it that I got from Liberty when I bought it. Stored in the safe, which doesn't do me a lot of good if I forget it. So I may decide, you know what? The likelihood of the government trying to get into my safe is not nearly as high as the likelihood of me forgetting the damn combination. So Liberty, yes, keep this, keep a hold of it. If I come back to you and I can provide proof of ownership that, yes, I'm the guy who purchased that safe, provide me that access code so I can get into my own damn safe. Or I can say, oh, hell no. I don't want any possibility of the government coming to you or anyone else and you providing access code that allows anyone, including the government, to get into my damn safe. And I ought to have that option. Because keep in mind, if I say no, do not maintain this code, and they eradicate that from their records, that does two things. First of all, it doesn't rely on them to tell the government to pound sand if the government comes to them and asks for the security code, for the access code. Secondly, even if the government goes the next step, gets a subpoena, and goes to them and says, look, at here's a valid third-party subpoena. You need to give us the access code to Guy Relford's Liberty Safe or Browning Safe or whatever it might be. They can then say... They can move to squash it first, right? They can take that step first. Or they can say, you know what? We'd love to help. 
and we would certainly comply with your valid subpoena that you've now served upon us. We don't have it because when Guy bought his safe, he checked the option B, which is don't maintain my access code at your company. So I don't have to worry about that. Perfect solution. And I, and I, I think you're going to start seeing that. And I think that's going to be the the direction safe companies go. So look, I'll let you decide. Did Liberty screw up? Absolutely. Should they have told the FBI to go the hell away? Absolutely. Did they roll over and supply an access code for their customer when they should not have? Yes. You decide how mad you are. Again, I love my Liberty safe. It's a high quality safe. Would I still buy a Liberty safe? Probably. But I would ask them about that option. And I would ask them in, in writing for what their policy is, is on that issue because it's still that important of an issue. In the meantime, we're a little past the bottom of the hour. We're going to switch gears, talk about another issue when we come back, which is the Biden administration has proposed a new rule redefining or at least adding clarity to a bit of redefinition of who's engaged in the buying and selling of firearms without a license such that can put you in prison. Talk more about that when we come back and take your calls and questions, 239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7, WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, during that break, producer Carl raised a really important point, and I actually meant to get into this before the break, but uh, producer Carl's dead on as he said, you know, when Apple was asked to help break into an iPhone after the San Bernardino mass shooting by a guy who uh, was a couple, actually, I believe, in San Bernardino. But, it, but, but the people there clearly had terroristic connections. And, and the government went to Apple and said, hey, we got this guy's phone. We can't get into it. Will you help us break into it? Essentially to help us decipher or defeat your own encryption code. It was a little different than the Liberty Safe situation because it wasn't like they had an access code. They just look up by serial number and go, yeah, here it is. It was actually requiring Apple's cooperation and contribution to breaking their own system. And they just said no. They said pound sand to the government. And at one point, there was a court order that they should do so, and they fought like hell to get out from underneath that court order. Anybody looking at that, some people, it was funny, Apple actually got some criticism from the other side of that argument and said, wow, here, here there's a mass shooting and someone who's an obvious terrorist, and Apple won't help the government, you know, put the bad guy in jail or, you know, produce evidence as to what is... Uh, motivation was or who his terroristic connections may have been. So, wow, Apple's being all anti-American because they won't help the government. They actually got heat from the other side of the same argument we're having here with respect to Liberty Safe. 
But at the end of the day, uh, that situation, because Apple clearly fought like hell and said, oh, no, we respect privacy and the privacy of our customers, and that's our first priority. We're not going to help the government uh, essentially defeat our own encryption system that we specifically put on phones in order to keep people's phones secure. And Apple got high praise from some segments of society and some commentators, and they got attacked by others. And I think, uh, it, but it's a, it's a good situation to refer to here because a lot of people are saying Liberty should have taken that same approach. And listen, um, that's it for that discussion. I'll leave it to you to make your own decisions. Um, but I'm glad we had the amount of discussion that we did. Shift gears a little bit. The Biden administration just last week came out and and said they're asking the ATF to issue a new rule to further clarify who is and is not engaged in the business, engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms. And this is incredibly important. I mean, for instance, you know, we, we keep hearing the the promo that, that I recorded for the, the Indy 1500 Gun and Knife Show. And listen, I'm, I've, I've been a big fan of theirs. Yes, they do pay me money uh, to record those ads. And, uh, and I've done some legal work the ND 1500 Gun and Knife Show as well. So I throw that out there uh, for full disclosure. But there are people out there right now set up at the gun show who have tables uh, and are, are buying and selling firearms. And I'll guarantee you right now they're under more scrutiny if they have a, a, a table set up or if they're just wandering around the gun show looking to sell a gun, they are under mo more scrutiny from the ATF right now than they've ever been. And this is really important for people to know and understand. And I've commented on this on the show before, but, 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 but life has changed on this issue. Because, first of all, the law has changed to some degree. And this was part of the so-called Safer Communities Act of 2022, the definition of engaged in the business was modified in that bill. And that's an act of Congress. I mean, that's on the books. Secondly, the ATF now, at the request of the Biden administration, is clarifying what they mean by this. So what is the downside? What's the issue? If the government decides that you're engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms without a license, They can, they will, and they do. I know because I've defended multiple clients. I'm defending clients right now on this exact issue. They will come after you and they will prosecute you. Being engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms without a license has a penalty of five years in federal prison and a $250,000 fine. When they do these investigations, what they will also do is they'll try to tie in other potential crimes. For instance, if they think you're buying and selling firearms for profit repetitively, they'll also put surveillance on you. And, and let me tell you, you think this is paranoid? No, it's not. I've experienced it in the sense of representing clients who have gone through this. They'll put surveillance on you. They'll record your conversations at gun shops. They will subpoena or get a warrant for your computer and your phone, and they'll come look at all of this. And if you're repetitively buying and selling firearms, again, that's buying and selling firearms, that's being engaged in the business without a license, that's one crime. Secondly, if someone says, man, you know, you know I just bought this one gun from you, I'd really like a, a Glock 19, but I can't find any Glock 19s at a good price where I am. 
if you say, oh, you know what, I'm going to be out, I'm going to be going to some gun stores or I'm going to the gun show, whatever it might be, let me look around for you. Let me see if I can find you a Glock 19. You go find that Glock 19, you buy it, you bring it back, and you sell it to them for 50 bucks more than you bought it for. The government will include that purchase as part of its allegation that you're engaged in the business buying and selling firearms for profit, and therefore buying and selling firearms and being engaged in the business without a license as a crime. Secondly, they'll say when you filled out the form in the gun store, the 4473 gun, the, the form, the ATF form in the gun store, the first question after you fill in your name and, 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 and some of the initial information, one of the first questions you answer is, are you the actual purchaser of the firearm? If you've already made an arrangement to purchase that for someone else, this isn't a gift. This is where you know they're going to give you money or if you've made arrangements to, to, to buy it and make some additional money. And it's not necessarily a straw purchase in the sense that you're buying a gun for someone you know can't pass their own background check. That's a separate crime in addition. That's another thing they'll look at to see if they have a potential charge against you for that. But they'll say you lied on the 4473 when you were the actual purchaser of the firearm. When you weren't, you were just a pass-through for the person who ultimately was going to pay the money to purchase that firearm. And by saying, yes, I'm the actual transferee, when you filled out that form, you now lied on a 4473 form. That's 10 years in federal prison. Then if they can get you for a straw purchase for buying a firearm with the intent to pass it on to someone who can't legally buy their own firearm, they'll tack that on as well. And then when they file the prosecution, when they file the charges, they'll say, well, you know, you're facing this count for being engaged in the business. That's five years. You lied on the 4473. That's 10 years. And you also committed a straw purchase by buying a gun for someone who can't buy their own gun. That's 10 more years. And we're going to ask the court to, to not only convict you of that, but sentence you to, and, and sentence you to those consecutively. So you're looking at 25 years in federal prison. It doesn't mean that's what a court's going to do. They do that for leverage. They do that to be able to, to be as heavy-handed as possible. But here's the problem. There are a whole lot of folks, and I, I know folks, who are on arms list or on gun broker, and they consider it a hobby, and they repetitively buy and sell guns. It's just fun for them. They'll, they'll find a good deal. Oh, look, I got a, got a great deal on this gun. And they'll turn around and they'll sell it and they'll make some money on it. And it's not their job. They have a full-time job. They're just something they do for fun. When we come back for our last segment, I'll talk about how the, the, the law change in 2022 and this new proposed rule change by the Biden administration puts us all at much more jeopardy of being prosecuted and potentially incarcerated when we just buy and sell a few guns if, in fact, we're making money when we sell those guns. It, it, this, is a, this is a game changer on this issue, and I really want people to understand it and pay heed to this. Hey, look, I'll sacrifice the business, though you don't need to hire me as your lawyer because you're getting prosecuted. If we keep more people from being prosecuted to begin with, we need people to make sure they understand how severe this is and how intense the scrutiny is. Because the ATF is looking hard at this. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Rolford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Thanks for coming back for our last segment. So this rule change, again, is going to supposedly provide some clarity, but here's what they're they're doing. If you're buying and selling firearms and you're making some money off doing that, because you don't have a firearms license, you're not required to put your purchasers buy guns from you through a background check. And that's a hot button right now with the government. And I'll guarantee you, for some number of years now, and this was started by the Chicago office of ATF, I'll guarantee you, there's some kind of a, an operational name like like Operation Indy Pipeline or something like that that exists within ATF where they're looking hard at people that live in Indiana that are buying and selling a number of guns and, and they're finding some of these guns turn up on, or at, I should say, Chicago crime scenes. So, you know, you've had a gun on gun broker or on arms list and you've sold that gun and it shows up at a Chicago crime scene. ATF's looking hard at that. And they're going to come investigate how many other guns you've sold. And the change in the law that happened is part of the so-called Safer Communities Act. And I've talked about this before in the context of the closing the, the so-called boyfriend loophole. I won't go into that now in the minute we have left. But another thing that it did is it changed the definition of being engaged in the business for purposes of being prosecuted, for being engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms without a license. Is it used to say, you know, if it was principally for livelihood and profit, livelihood. And so it gave us the argument to say, well, look, I may have made a little bit of money buying and selling guns, but I don't do this for a living. That's not my livelihood. Well, they took livelihood out. And the law now just says predominantly to make a profit. And it doesn't much matter how many guns, if you're selling guns to make a profit, there's no set number. They're going to say you're engaged in the business without a license. They're going to prosecute you and try to put you in jail. It's really an important point everybody needs to keep in mind. That's the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.